Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Thank you, man. I just saw a few more questions. Okay. Did you kill Maggie? No. Did I kill my wife? Yes, sir. No, David. Do you know who did? No, I do not know who did. Did you kill Paul? No, I did not kill Paul. Do you know who did? No, sir, I do not know who did. Do you think I killed Maggie? I have to go where the evidence and the fact came. I understand that. And you think I killed Paul? I have to go where the evidence and the facts take me, and I don't have anything that points to anybody else at this time. So does that mean that I am a suspect? You were still in, like I told Corey earlier, you were still in this. With everything that we've talked about, with the family guns, the ammunition, nobody else's DNA. I have to put my beliefs aside and go with the facts. Hey, lovely listeners, and welcome back to Crime Analyst and the Intelligence Cell. In this episode, I'm going to share my analysis of key moments that stand out to me the most throughout SLED's interview slash interrogation of Murdoch on August the 11th. Here's your health warning before I dive back in. Listener discretion is advised. In part seven, I detailed some of the inconsistencies in Murdoch's retelling of events. Now, maybe they didn't sound that big a deal to you, but often there's no big gotcha moments in police interviews or in court or when building a case on circumstantial evidence. It really is a details game. The devil is in the detail, as you've heard me say time and time again. It's really a case of plugging away for inconsistencies or cooperation or key areas that build a case later on. And it's like threads of a sweater You can remove one thread, or maybe two, or three, but you'll still see the overall pattern of the sweater. In this interview, which lasts for more than an hour, it's really the last minute and 26 seconds which are the most revealing for me, and it's at this point that I felt it was more like an interrogation. That's the clip that you heard at the top of the episode. Everything about this interview up until that point was calm, low-key, and low-pressure. In fact, both sled officers leave the room at different times, as did Murdoch, to take a call from Buster. And at each of these points, it was no big deal, just very easy breezy, all calm and casual, with the aim, I believe, to keep Murdoch engaged, talking and cooperating. And so it's clear to me that he was initially not seen as a suspect. It's also worth just pointing out that Murdoch does cough and clear his throat a few times throughout this interview, but it's really only a handful of times and there's no spitting. Now, a few people have written to me and suggested that he might have done it before due to a habit of chewing tobacco and the long-term use of it can cause damage to the sinuses and throat. And yes, that may well play a part, but this interview is markedly more relaxed and Murdoch's not doing it quite so often. So there's that. But of course, people, when they're under pressure, well, their symptoms can be exacerbated by stress. 
And I do believe that Murdoch is adept at distraction and deflection, and he knows when to take control. And he can't help himself. And you'll hear more about that as I unpick the last minute and 26 seconds, where there is a clear gear shift. Now, there was a slow build throughout this interview, and I'm going to get to those 68 seconds, but you'll have to wait and be patient, because the other moments that take us there, although they're not dramatic, they are just as significant. They are the invisible steps which unravel the inconsistencies in Murdoch's retelling of what happened. One of those inconsistencies related to a major omission in Murdoch's account, that he had changed his clothes at least twice, and Sled would later learn that it was actually three times once Blanca contacted them following this August the 11th interview. I've talked about Paul's Snapchat video before. He'd posted the video on Snapchat of Murdoch trying to plant a tree on the property. It was taken at 7.56pm and showed Murdoch wearing a light blue shirt and khaki pants. How could Murdoch forget something like that? Special Agent David Owen asked Murdoch when he changed his clothes, and unfortunately, when Murdoch was fishing and asking questions, Special Agent David Owen gave him a time reference. One observation, when you ask someone this sort of question, it tends to work better if you don't answer it for them or give them any clues. That's where I left off in Part 7. Afterwards, Special Agent David Owen let it be known that the timeline didn't make any sense, and now he knew that he, Murdoch, had changed clothes and had not told them. Special Agent Owen allowed the room to fall into silence whilst he focused on getting something out of his document wallet. He shuffled some papers, leaned into the table, and everyone's attention was on him. They gathered around to look at several Google Maps, and he asked Murdoch about the route that he took to his mother's house. Murdoch explained the route, and he said that it wasn't infrequent for him to go to his mother's. That's an interesting word choice. We know that it was, particularly at night. Take a listen to this. How long would you say you were at your mom's at night? 45 minutes an hour. We know what Murdoch said about how long he was at his mother's house, and we know Shelley Smith said that he was there for around 20 minutes. So now's a good time to talk about Murdoch's car data. Your car data can reveal a lot, and Murdoch's 2021 Chevy Suburban told its own story about what happened that night via a treasure trove of speed and GPS data. The car data revealed that Murdoch drove to his mother's home at 9.07pm, arriving at 9.22pm. He left 21 minutes later at 9.43pm, again contradicting Murdoch's claim that he stayed for 30 to 40 minutes. His maximum speed to and from his parents' home was 74 miles per hour and 80 miles per hour. Now that's pretty fast to be driving at night on country roads, even if he knew them well. The data indicated that Murdoch arrived back at the family home at 10pm and his car reached the kennels at 10.05pm and 57 seconds. Murdoch made the 911 call at 10.06pm and 14 seconds, just 17 seconds after he pulled into the kennel. It's important to note that his call had to be reconnected to the right PD, hence why I've referenced the call at 10.07pm. That's some of what the car data revealed. Take a listen to this. Can you let it take me back home? Did you make any stops on the way? On the way there? On the way to your mom's work on your return trip back home. Stops? Um... No, I didn't go anywhere. I went straight there. I did not. No, sir. Special Agent David Owen asked whether Murdoch made any stops on the way to his mother's or the way back. This question stumped Murdoch as he visibly tried to figure out the direction of travel with these inquiries. Remember that Maggie's cell phone was found by investigators one day after the murders, dumped by the side of a road around a quarter of a mile from the Murdoch property. Interestingly, car data placed Murdoch's car at the spot where Maggie's phone was later found dumped before he quickly sped away from the scene. Prosecutors later claimed that Murdoch took Maggie's phone after killing her and Paul and then threw it out of the window of his moving car whilst driving to his mother's home to build an alibi for himself. Now, the next four minutes of the interview are very important. 
Before I play the clip, I'm just going to give you a heads up. Just notice how calm and deliberate Special Agent David Owen was with his questions and also Murdoch's responses. He started by asking Murdoch about whether he remembered Rogan Gibson's dog Cash having something wrong with his tail. Take a listen to this. And earlier in the day when you were down at the, at the shed in the kennels with Paul, did y'all discuss any injuries to any dogs? Did he and I? No, but Rogan Gibson told me about um, the dog's tail and somebody saying his leg was broken. Which one? Which one's his dog? It's a chocolate puppy, I think. Okay. Was the leg broken? Not that I know of. I can certainly see why something might be wrong with his tail, because when I was out there, he was chasing his tail and flipping through the fence and trying to grab it. Yes, it was all that puppy energy. <clears throat> When you got back to Mozilla, which driveway did you enter? I went into I went into Brick Gates. Brick Gates. And Maggie and Paul weren't there. Were were there vehicles at the house? Yes, sir. How did they get down there that night? Still, I was hoping you were going to be able to tell me that. The only thing that I can come up with is that black truck. Is that Buster's old black truck? Yes, sir. Does it normally stay down at the farm or does it stay at the house? Both. 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 Um, Did Maggie ever walk down there? Maggie walked down there a lot. But Paul, I mean, I just, it would, it would, if, if, you showed me some proof that Paul walked down there that night. I would be surprised, absolutely surprised. Well, thinking about Paul's health concerns, do you think Maggie could have gotten him to walk that night? So come on, let's walk with me this one time. You know, it's possible, but again, that would be highly, highly unusual. He would have talked her in the ride. <laughs> been highly unusual for him to walk. <clears throat> so when you were at the kennels, um, you were just down there with Paul. And you left and went back to the house for dinner. You know, I mean, Paul and I were just knocking around up at the shop, the shed, the kennels, and the, you know, just the whole property. And and that was before dinner, yes, sir. And you didn't go back down there after dinner until you returned truck from visiting your mother? Yes, sir. <clears throat> I've got information that Paul's only farming. And Maggie was heard in the background and you were heard in the background. And that was prior to none. Yeah. I, I heard Rogan Gibson ask me if I was up there. He said he thought it was me. Was it you? At, at 9 o'clock? Yes, sir. No, sir. Not if my times are right. Who do you think it could have been? I have no idea. And Rogan's been around your family for pretty much all his life. Oh, absolutely. And he recognizes your voice and you have a distinct voice. Do you think of anybody else that has a voice somewhere to yours that he may have um, misinterpreted? Mm. No, sir. No, sir. I mean, he, I mean, he had told me that he thought I was up there. Didn't that surprise you? 
Yes, sir. Firstly, he was trying to jog Murdoch's memory. Then he wanted to understand how the vehicles were moved that evening. And Murdoch answered him with a question of his own, stating that he was hoping Special Agent David Owen would tell him that. Here, I believe, Murdoch's once more fishing for information. He wants to know what Special Agent David Owen and SLED know, or what they think they know. Special Agent David Owen redirected him and said he wanted Murdoch to reconfirm his movements again to ascertain what his knocking around with Paul was before dinner. Special Agent David Owen effectively asked Murdoch twice, and Murdoch double-confirmed that he did not go back to the kennels until after visiting his mother. He was saying, yes, sir, that's right, he did not go up to the kennels. Special Agent David Owen let that hang in the air, as he went in with the challenge and confrontation that he had information that Murdoch was up at the kennels prior to 9pm on the evening that Maggie and Paul were murdered. Special Agent David Owen asked him directly, You were heard in the background, and that was prior to 9pm. Was it you? Murdoch answered the question with a question. Then he denied it and said, Not if his times are right. His answer jumped out at me straight away. Answering a question with a question indicates deception, and time is not a memory. But for Murdoch, it was. And what's more, he was trying to avoid being pinned down on time again. Now, all these things together are red flags and indicators of deception. Murdoch was asked who he thought it could have been, and he said he had no idea. He said he couldn't think of anyone else it could have been, despite being given the opportunity to put someone in the frame here. In my opinion, Murdoch's stumped here and he's trying to recalibrate. Murdoch is a talker, and rather than just shut up, he blathers on that Rogan had told him he thought Murdoch was up there that night. That's great for SLED, and their strategy is paying off at this point. We know now that multiple witnesses at the trial identified Murdoch's voice, along with Maggie's and Paul's, in that video, contradicting Murdoch's story he told investigators that he had not gone to the kennels before finding the bodies. That's huge. And just to be clear, it wasn't until months later that investigators discovered a video on Paul's phone that he had filmed immediately after that call at 8.44pm in the area of the family's dog kennels, near where the bodies were found. Now, I've talked about this already, but it's a beautiful thing watching Murdoch challenged on it, and then his reaction. He's been caught in a major lie here. For me, it's illuminating how calm Murdoch remained, having been caught in such a huge lie. That's at least three major lies that he's been confronted with, and each time there's no reaction from him. You might blink and miss it. Murdoch was then asked about who he was talking to on the 911 call, as it sounded like he was talking to someone. He said that he wasn't, and he didn't recall a dog being loose. Now, I mention this because a number of you have messaged me to say that it sounded like he was talking to someone else when he was on the 911 call. Next, they talk about ammunition and the guns. This was also a significant part of the interview. Listen to this. Actually, John knows that he sold Maggie a third gun. Okay. Okay. And the story was that she was supposed to let you know that she paid for it for you to go sign the paperwork. Um, and that never occurred. Okay, so that's why there wasn't a number? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, he has, the, he has the number. He just doesn't have a final sale on the ATF paperwork. Okay, that was replacing the one that Paul, Paul lost, yes. That's correct. And both both of those um, 300s, those serial numbers, are with the ATF and flagged in the system. So when they pop up, they get me to those. Okay. And, and that's, you know, we, we've talked about the shot shells. So the cartridge casings were 300 blackout cartridge casings that were found by Mac. There were also cartridge casings found by your house, by the side door to the gun room, and at the shoot, shooting range. And the ones by the house and some of the ones found at the shoot range are confirmed matches to the ones found by Maggie. Okay. So, which gives another concern. I've got the same load as the shot shells and multiple guns and 
300 blackout that match ones found on your property. So he now believed that those guns, that Paul's guns were used? Yes. Okay. And missing. It came out that there was a third gun, and what's more, that Maggie and Paul were killed with the family guns and that they were still missing. Murdoch responded with OK. That's incredible to me. There was no reaction from him yet again. Nothing. As you've heard me say time and time again, it's not always about what people do. It's often about what they don't do. I want to tell you about my sponsor, Factor. Factor makes healthy eating easy. And health and fitness starts with good food. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Fuel up fast with Factors, restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. I've had the chicken parmesan and the turkey chili and zucchini, and they're delicious and I highly recommend them. Factor is flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Now, they've done the maths and Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash crimeanalyst50 and use code crimeanalyst50 to get 50% off. That's code crimeanalyst50 at factormeals, F-A-C-T-O-R, factormeals.com slash crimeanalyst50 to get 50% off. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Once more, Special Agent David Owen returned to the timeline. He was still trying to nail Murdoch down on time. Take a listen to this. One thing that I'm trying to understand is your timeline. You said you probably went to the office at 30, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, and you left early around 5, 5.30. Um, and there's been some other timelines or times that we've talked about and you can't quite remember um, what the times are or what time of day it was. When the dispatcher asked you when was the last time you saw Maggie or talked to Maggie, you said an hour and a half, two hours ago. To me, that's, you know, a set, without thinking about it, you rattled off that time. Um, we're sitting here trying to figure out a timeline and you're having trouble coming up with a specific time. Oh, that's fair. Uh, I don't. Uh, I, t- tell me again what I said to the um, dispatcher. Did you hear that? Murdoch stammers and stutters. He was buying time there, and then he said, "Tell me again what I said to the dispatcher." Once more, he answered the question with a question, and he wanted to be reminded about what he had said. Again, you don't have to remember the truth, only the lies. Listen to the further unravelling of Murdoch's inconsistencies regarding the timeline. You said an hour and a half ago, probably two hours. And what time was that? That was when you were on the phone, um, and the 911 call was made at 10.06. So given two hours... Back, that would have been eight. I mean, I think that's probably about. I think that's probably about right. 
So you, what, you believe I'm giving you an inconsistent answer? No, I'm just trying to wrap my mind around it when I'm asking you what time you went to the office that day, what time you got home. You know, you said 5 or 5.30. I've got the card read out from the law firm, and it shows you going in at 5, 5.30. Going in the door? Yes, sir. And Randy says when he left about 6 o'clock, you were still there. So the times aren't matching up. And I'm just trying to get I, I'm, I'm just trying to get an understanding of why. I believe I left so that the, that's not the first time I was at my office that day. There were several readings, but your card wouldn't work. Somebody had to actually had to let you in. Okay. I, but I've got your card opening the door at the law firm at five thirty. And then Randy saying when he left at six, you were still there. I'm just, I'm trying to understand. You know, I left the office earlier than I normally did. What's, you your, know? what's your normal time to leave? I mean, it's not unusual for me to be there till dark. You know, I try to get home when Maggie's home, you know, before dark. She don't like staying out there by herself in the dark. That's right. So, you know, if it was 5.30 or 6, you know, I don't think I was still there at 6 o'clock. But um, you know, if I was, it wasn't long after that. So, you know, I went I believe that I went straight home. So, you know, my car, have y'all been able to get Chevrolet to download my? We're still working on that. Okay. That's a long process. Well, I mean, I got home <coughs> early enough for Paul and I to ride the property for a substantial length of time, you know, more than an hour. I thought probably a couple of hours okay. that we were together, but somewhere. Took it down the river. We rode down um, all the roads. I believe, I believe that we, I mean, we rode all over. Interestingly, Murdoch was still at the law firm at 6pm on June the 7th. Remember Murdoch said he'd spent the afternoon driving around with Paul in the June 7th interview. They rode round and round the property. Murdoch repeated it, and I highlighted this in part four. He said they rode around so much, more than 20 minutes, two hours probably, he said. He said that he had had dinner with Maggie and Paul after 6pm and then he fell asleep on the couch. He said that he woke up and Maggie and Paul weren't there and he texted them but he decided to go and see his mother who had Alzheimer's. Murdoch also said in the interview that Maggie wanted him home before dark and Special Agent David Owen volunteered that Maggie didn't like staying out there by herself and Murdoch agreed and said that's right. My question... If that was the case, then why would Maggie walk up to the kennels in the dark on her own if she didn't even like being in the house on her own? Murdoch was tying himself in knots. Murdoch then asked about the Chevrolet data and whether they had the data back, and Special Agent David Owen confirmed that they were still working on that and it was a long process. Of course Murdoch was curious about that. Special Agent David Owen then asked Murdoch if he had any questions, and this is what he said. I would like to know exactly what happened. Me too. The best that I've been able to put together. Tell me, looks like. Oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. I believe Paul was on first. For the simple fact of what 
Kampus Universitas. We may honestly never know who was first, but I think it was Paul for the simple fact he wouldn't have, if, if he saw his mother getting shot, he wouldn't have run to that fever. Unless that's where one of the guns was. But, you know, we've already established family guns were used. And if they came from Paul's truck, Paul's truck was at the house. So where where were they? And how did they get down there? And how did they get down there? Murdoch thought Maggie was shot first. It's interesting to me that he said that. And it's again reiterated that the family guns were used. And the question was, how did they get down there? Murdoch started to shuffle and move his body weight as he asked the next question. Take a listen to this. Did y'all get any kind of forensic of anything that y'all found? Just the rain and the... Yeah. I mean, we, we got plenty of DNA from the scene, but... Yeah. It's Nolan's, it's Rogan's, it's Alex, it's Paul's, it's Maggie's, it's Buster's. Yeah. David, can you tell me for sure? Um, did either one of them live after they were shot first time? Not long. Does that mean? I, the, the shooting happened very quickly. Very quick. Is this one person, two persons, three persons? I've got two guns. I've got two different types of ammunition. It's hard to say. It is hard to say. Now, did neither one of them suffer very long? A matter of seconds. Clearly, Murdoch was interested in forensics. He wanted to know what the science revealed. Of course he did. He then asked about timings and if Special Agent David Owen could say for sure if they lived for long after they were first shot. Special Agent David Owen said it all happened very quickly. Murdoch took a beat and then asked if it were one, two or three people. Special Agent David Owen replied that there were two guns, two different types of ammunition and that it was hard to say. Murdoch thanked him. What an odd reaction. This stands out to me. Why the hell would he thank him? Why wasn't Murdoch stating that he was terrified for himself and Buster? Why wasn't he saying that he was worried about these shooters coming after them? Why wasn't he saying that he wanted Sled to find out who did it and they have to get on and do the job? Yet again, for me, there was a lack of urgency and a lack of anger and a lack of fear. Fear for his and Buster's safety. That stood out to me across all three interviews. Throughout this exchange, Sled's Jeff Croft was absent. He then came back into the room with water for Corey Fleming. Then there was some discussion led by Fleming about encouraging other people to come forward because the Murdochs knew a lot of people. He really wanted to underline that fact yet again because he'd started with it at the beginning of the interview. Murdoch then chimed in and said that he wanted to know whether they had anything that pointed to someone. Now, of course, for me, he's fishing here again. Special Agent David Owen said no and then proceeded to share a lot of information about where they were with the investigation. He told them that the FBI were trying to get cell tower data, but they had little forensically from the night because of the rain and the DNA was family members. They talked about Paul's phone and trying to get Apple to unlock it. Special Agent David Owen said he wanted to know what happened that night, as did Murdoch, and that they were the two guys who really wanted to know. 
Now, I just want to underline the fact that I believe Maggie's family and friends also really wanted to know. It's not just about these blokes in this room. Maggie and Paul were loved by many, but even here there's an absence of urgency or anger or fear from Murdoch. He just wanted to ask more specific questions about what Special Agent David Owen thought had happened that night. Take a listen to this. I mean, I just don't understand it. I mean, look, nobody, nobody wants to know more than this man right here and this man right here. I know. Everybody else. I believe that. Everybody else. David, how far apart, I mean, how far apart in time would, would the, um, you know, the shot? Did one of them know the other one was dead or had been shot? I think it's impossible to answer that question. I think it is impossible. But you certainly probably shot first. I believe he was. I'm not certain. I believe he was. Maggie would have known that then, wouldn't she? You don't know how soon after when she was shot? And, 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 it, and it all depends on how many shooters were there. I mean, if, 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 if we're looking at two shooters, it could have happened at the same time. If we're looking at one shooter, it would have happened... Don't, I know, I know you can't help but think about it, but don't beat yourself up over getting an answer. It's not going to do anything to you. It sounded like Special Agent David Owen had an open mind at this point, right? He said Murdoch shouldn't beat himself up about the details of who was shot first. And after this reassurance from Special Agent David Owen, Murdoch asked him if he would now meet with Maggie's family. For me, that's an odd detail to be hung up on. Again, most people want to know who the hell did this and whether they were making progress, and if they were also at risk, and if so, what they should be doing to protect themselves. But not Murdoch. Take a listen to this. When I ask you, uh, um, now that you talk to me, are you willing to, um, if some of my family, Maggie's mom and dad or sister, are you willing to talk to them? Yes, sir. Okay. And I'll, I mean, I'll meet them where, where they want to. It would I mean, be easy to meet them. And I, was, them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I live in Charleston, so it's yeah. nothing for me to shoot up to Somerville and maybe the Grand Setters. Thank you. I know y'all are doing everything you can. And I don't take any personal offense at asking me these questions. I know you got to do what you got to do. Well, I mean, and, and I hate to give any credence to the media, but with the media keep throwing you in there, then you got you to gotta ask the questions. If I can get every bit of evidence possible mm-hmm. that's going to exonerate When you get my car stuff, that'll help. Murdoch felt reassured by this and then thanked SLED again for doing everything and doing what they gotta do. He's tapping and shaking his left leg whilst he's saying this. Special Agent David Owen reiterated he had to ask the questions because of the media putting Murdoch into the investigation and he had to get every bit of evidence possible that's going to exonerate... Now, he didn't finish this sentence as Murdoch, rather emboldened, leaned forward in his chair, grabbed a sip of water and said the car stuff would help. This interview was so low-key and low-pressure that Special Agent David Owen just gets up at this point and walked out the room for little over three minutes. No reason given, and Murdoch just sat there on his phone and then they sit in silence. After two and a half minutes of silence... Senior Agent Jeff Croft piped up and asked about the guns and whether they were a pair of guns and a matching set bought as Christmas gifts, and Murdoch confirmed that they were. Special Agent David Owen returned and brought up the boat incident, as he called it, and said he couldn't exclude those involved and wanted to understand how far down the line they were 
with a civil case and how far it had progressed. Fleming found his voice at this point and said he didn't know much about it and Murdoch had a different lawyer representing him. He said that they shouldn't really talk about it without that lawyer present. Murdoch said he could say something and the case had progressed and proceeded to throw one of the families under the bus for something rather minor. It's my belief that he saw this as a prime opportunity to further frame Maggie and Paul's murders as a revenge kill. Special Agent David Owen returned to it again, asking if there were any threats made to Paul prior to the murder. Take a listen to this. Anybody from the boat or their family that you've heard or know um, of any issues with them recently or prior to this incident? Any confrontations? Mm -hmm. Or them saying anything in the community about the lawsuit or the pending charges, anything that would kind of lead me. I mean, David, I told you about the, um, you know, the, I, um, Kenya, mm -hmm. Treehorn, um, a month or so maybe six weeks before this happened, called me, you know, just all out of sorts, mm -hmm. you know, and told me, I, I told you about this, yes, sir. right? We, yeah, we've been a few yes, sir. So, I mean, she said she'd heard it from two different places that family from the boat wreck was, you know, it was, it just, you know, it was over the top that I really didn't, paid a bunch of attention. You know, um, I asked her about it. She said she didn't know who the people were, but um, she said that she it was with a friend. It was at a friend's party. She knew who the friend was and would take y'all to the friend. Um, so, you know, has she talked to you about that? She's given us very little. Do you feel like she's being um, evasive? Because I, I, let me tell you what I've tried not to do. I know y'all have to look at me. I've tried to have as little discussions with the people that y'all are interviewing you know, with all this talk about how I fixed this and fixed that with the boat wreck, which is totally untrue. You know, I've tried to not have a lot of conversation with people that, you know, I know y'all need to talk to. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the problem that I encounter, and I think everybody in law enforcement encounters in any investigation, people on the street talk and they run their mouth and they'll talk to friends, and they'll talk to families, and they'll talk to victims. But when the police show up, they keep their mouth shut. So she's not talking to she's you? Give, she has given us some information. Okay. Some information. So is there a problem with me going to her and, you know? I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> so you're not telling me not to do it? I'm not going to answer that. Okay. Either way. I'll get somebody to talk to her, all right? To try to get her to uh, cooperate with you. Darn, allergies. Excuse me. All right, um, do you have any more questions that I might be able to answer? In, uh, if you can't think of any now, reach out, call me. I will know. I mean, you've answered a lot of things I had questions about, and I appreciate it. And I'll, I'll call the Branstetters and see if they want to meet. Um, maybe get married up there at the same time so I can just meet with them all together. Does Marion, I know they live on the wall a lot. Does Marion work? No, she doesn't work. And they're, you know, they're kind of between Wadmalaw and 
I mean, they're residents of the state of Florida, but okay. they're they're here as much as they. But they're in Greenville a lot right now. Yeah, because Greenville, the baby. That's right. Thank you, Murdoch's answer was so incredibly vague. Remember, in the June 7th interview, he said that there were lots of threats to Paul and that Paul received threats all the time. All the time, he repeated for emphasis. Yet he failed to give one specific example. And here he came out with something so vague and bizarre about a lady... He said he didn't talk to people because it was seen as interfering, but then he said he would get someone to talk with her. The sled agent said nothing to him, other than Special Agent David Irwin saying, I'm not going to answer that, and then he choked on some water, said he had allergies, and then promptly changed the subject, and reassured Murdoch that he would speak with Maggie's family. It was at this point that Special Agent David Irwin then said he had a few more questions. And this is where it got very interesting. Take a listen to this. Thank you, man. Yeah. I just saw uh, a few more questions. Okay. Did you kill Maggie? No. Did I kill my wife? Yes, sir. No, David. Do you know who did? No, I do not know who did. Did you kill Paul? No, I did not kill Paul. Do you know who did? No, sir, I do not know who did. Do you think I killed Maggie? I have to go where the evidence and the facts are. I understand that. And you think I killed Paul? I have to go where the evidence and the facts take me. And I don't have anything that points to anybody else at this time. So does that mean that I am a suspect? You were still in, like I told Corey earlier, you were still in this. With, it, with everything that we've talked about, with the family guns, the ammunition, nobody else's DNA. I have to put my beliefs aside and go with the facts. What did you make of that? Now, like I said, this is the most important one minute and 26 seconds of the entire interview. Talk about switching gears. Special Agent David Owen just went for it. Did you kill Maggie? Murdoch, no. He paused, then he asked, did I kill my wife? And then answered, no, David. When he said no, Murdoch nodded his head, yes. That's called leakage. He then answered the question with a question, which is an indicator of deception. He then underlined it a second time. No, I did not, David, and used his first name. From what I've seen of Murdoch's behaviour so far, when he lies, he repeats the lie for emphasis. It's an oversell. That's the tell. I highlighted it in the 911 call and each interview I've deconstructed. And the leakage of his behaviour and his noddies and verbiage, they betray him too. Special Agent David Owen then said, Do you know who did it? Murdoch, No, I do not know who did it. And then there's a pause. Special Agent David Owen asked, Did you kill Paul? Murdoch answered, No, I did not kill Paul. Interestingly, whilst he said that, Murdoch nodded his head yes, much more vigorously than when he answered the question about Maggie. Special Agent David Owen, Do you know who killed Paul? Murdoch, no, sir, I do not know who did. With this answer, Murdoch added a sir, and his head is doing a sort of yes slash no. He was trying to sync his head movement with what he's saying, but it comes off as a mixture of the two. For me, this reveals the fact that he's overthinking it and trying too hard. In other words, it's not a natural reaction. He then goes one step further. Murdoch asks the next question, which is really interesting. Now he's the one doing the interrogating. Oof, the confidence, the arrogance, the male entitlement. Murdoch jumped into the driving seat and asked, do you think I killed Maggie? It was Special Agent David Owen's turn to be caught off guard. 
He waved his hands awkwardly in the air, like he was weighing things up in an uncoordinated way, and he said he had to go where the evidence and facts takes. But before he could finish, Murdoch cut him off. He's nodding away at this stage too. Oof, I mean, who is interrogating who here? Special Agent David Owen has lost control. Murdoch then asked, And you think I killed Paul? Special Agent David Owen replied, I have to go where the evidence and facts take me, and I don't have anything that points to anybody else at this time. Bristling and clearly annoyed, Murdoch asked, So does that mean I'm still a suspect? Special Agent David Owen told him that he was still in this. Murdoch literally couldn't believe his ears. He thought he'd done enough from the way Special Agent David Owen was talking to him throughout this interview, and then he just sat there nodding away in sheer disbelief. Special Agent David Owen said that with everything they'd talked about, the family, the guns, the ammunition, and nobody else's DNA, he had to put his beliefs aside and go with the facts. That was huge. Remember the power that Murdoch and his family wielded before? Murdoch could just say something and be believed. Now for the first time, possibly in his life, that's not working for him. And he just cannot believe it. It's written all over his face and his body language. Special Agent David Owen would later testify it wasn't one inconsistency. It was several inconsistencies within a period of time that were repeated. He added that the investigation found no credible leads to lead them to anyone other than Murdoch. And I can tell you, it wasn't through lack of trying. Special Agent David Owen tried so hard here, and there were significant issues with what Murdoch said in the interview, and also what he didn't tell investigators about, particularly regarding time, his drug habit, his shady financial dealings. No, he didn't tell them anything about those things. Motive was clearly the thing that Sled was struggling with. Why would Alec Murdoch murder Maggie and Paul? Join me next week when I deconstruct the micro and macro timeline and what it reveals about motive. Until then, be curious, ask questions and always trust your instinct. Here's my final thought and ask before the episode wraps. I really appreciate you listening to Crime Analyst. And if you like what I do, please take two minutes to leave a five-star review wherever you listen to me. It really helps others find me and my work, and it helps with the ratings too. Crime Analyst is written, produced and hosted by me, Laura Richards. Sound engineering by Jason Sheasley at Abridged Audio. Cover art and graphics by Chris Rowbottom at Syndicate and music by Kilrood. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.